All right, guys, welcome. We're live. Welcome to the 122nd installment of the Unplugged Alpha podcast series. I'm joined today by a couple of Christian men who are going to be talking a little bit about the Christian pill solution. Um, it's been a bit of a back and forth, as tends to happen every few months on the social medias between uh, the traditional conservatives and the red pill, or what I like to call the mano swamp these days. Um, <laughs> I'm in agreement with some of the things you guys say. I'm in agreement with some of the things that the Man of Swamp says. I'm in disagreement with obviously a few others. What I had done actually, just so you know, my viewers can understand, is I, uh, you know, I like to have all sorts of conversations with people, you know, regardless of what their opinions and ideas are, because I think it's 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 fun and interesting to do these. But I came across uh, Chase's. Uh, I think they're called Twitter Spaces still, or they're X Spaces. I don't know. Um, and it was I don't know. Hour and a half long. I had some work to do, so I just you know had to listen in a bit of a notepad over here, and I jotted down some notes, as one does. It was difficult for me to discern who was speaking at the time on the replay, so I just jotted down the sound bites. And I initially was just going to do this as a show, as sort of responding to some of the sound bites that I heard with some of my ideas on it. Uh, but I DM'd uh, Chase, and he said, "Yeah, let's um, let's hop on and bring Mike and have a conversation." So let's do that. That's why we're here today. How you guys doing? Fantastic, bro. Honored to be with you guys here. Thanks for coming, man. Mike, how you doing? Doing very well, man. Rich, I watched your stuff way back, so it's cool to be here. Oh, Appreciate awesome. the invite. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've watched a lot of your content too, Rich, and I respect a lot of the work that you've done. All right. So so we're familiar. Yes. Cool. Um, Mike, you're a power lifter, yeah? Ex-competitive power lifter. I'm more like a just kind of journeyman in the basement power lifter now, but yes, absolutely. Okay. You train men to lift, obviously. Yeah, I've been a gym owner since my early 20s. I still have that gym. And a lot of what I do still is is online strength and fitness and nutrition. So, yeah. Okay. And I, I think Chase should be a familiar face to those that have watched the Whatever podcast. He's been a co-host or a sidekick, I guess, to, um, you know, Brian's excursion through the uh, co-host California. Sure. Co-host? <laughs> co-host. Okay. Uh, yeah, through Brian's excursion through some of the women of the uh, California uh, sphere of things. Um all right, so let's do this. Um, is it okay if we go through these talking points first? I know you sent me a, a link to a tweet that you had done sort of with some of the disagreements. Yeah, it, it could be a good idea too to give your viewers context sure, on um, kind of how this all got started. So for, for your listeners, I've been doing the Whatever Podcast for the past couple of years, and uh, we did an episode a few months ago. And on the show, I mentioned that uh, – a lot of the, the men in the red pill sphere who criticize women for having high body counts also advocate for men to sleep with as many women as they can to increase their confidence, so on and so forth. And I said that it was hypocritical and degenerate, and it was contributing to the problem in women's body counts that these men frequently call out. And um, I, I posted a tweet about it, basically calling it out and then, uh, you know, saying that this this cycle of promiscuity is contributing to the brokenness of our civilization and it's 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 damaging things and i told people to take the christ pill and uh shared a bible verse with it and then myron myron Gaines from the fresh and fit podcast came out of left field and uh, attacked me and said jesus can't save any of these women and neither can you and uh, we all need to just basically adapt to feminism or instead you can get married through the church and divorced by the state. And then it began this huge back and forth debate on X. And then, you know, Mike and I uh, and a couple other people, we, we hosted a Twitter space to discuss kind of the Christian perspective versus the secular red pill perspective on these uh, intersex dynamics. And that, that was how 
the Twitter Twitter space started. So yeah, please please share your impression of it, Rich. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some things in there that I uh, thought were very interesting. So the first thing that I jotted down here was that one of the solutions that were discussed, and again, I I, I don't know who was um, offering many of these sound bites because when you replay it, it doesn't really coordinate the speaker with um, what you're hearing at the same time. Um, so maybe you can tell me if it's not one of you guys, but uh, first one I jotted down was men should be getting married earlier as part of the solution. I don't, that you guys both agree with, or I don't, I don't remember who said that. Yeah. I don't think it was me that said that either. Okay. Is that something yeah. that you guys agree with or? I mean, I don't, I don't remember at what point in the conversation that was said um, or what they were proposing that as a solution to. Um, I think it was, I th as a solution to the degeneracy and the promiscuity and all that sort of stuff. And I think, I, I mean, fundamentally, like the, the degeneracy and promiscuity, there, there's so many problems in the intersexual dynamics that exist in the modern world today uh, that extend just beyond promiscuity. Uh, and you know this, obviously, Rich, right? This is something that we, we talked about throughout the Twitter space a bit. Uh, how loaded the divorce courts are nowadays against men, how easy it is to get raped in the divorce process as a man. Uh, No-fault divorce is a huge problem. And one of the one of the things that the red pill has accurately addressed uh, in, in, in its critique of the modern marital institution is the fact that a lot of guys walk into marriage green behind the ears and then they get burned after they get into marriage because they don't understand women. Uh, they don't understand you know, concepts like hypergamy that the red pill brings up and secular marriage in and of itself. Like I would never advise some young guy who doesn't have a strong moral foundation and a strong understanding of women to just walk headfirst into a, a secular marriage. I don't think that's a smart idea. What is the uh, definition of a secular marriage for those that don't understand? Yeah. So like we're, we're, Mike and I are approaching this from the Christian perspective, which is a Christian marriage, like a rock solid Christian marriage is very different than uh, your modern secular marriage, right? Like my parents, when they got married, uh, they weren't doing so from a place of religious conviction. They were doing so from a place of, well, I love you and you love me and we're going to get married and, you know, try and make it work basically. And I think that's how most people get married nowadays. It's, it's not really a, it's not truly a till death do us part. It's like, as long as everything's working out, we're going to stay together. But if things don't really work out, then we'll consider divorce. That's a secular marriage. A Christian okay. marriage is, no, we are entering a covenant before God. There is no divorce. No matter what happens, we are together. That is it. Hmm. And there's, you know, for Christians who take this seriously, like, it's a big deal. You know, one of the things that Jesus Christ said is, if you get married and you get divorced, uh, like there, there is no divorce after you get married from the biblical perspective. If you get married to somebody and then you divorce and you get married to somebody else, mm -hmm. you are technically committing adultery on your first spouse. Okay. That's a huge no, no within Christianity. So there's a difference there between biblical marriage and secular marriage. Okay. And I think the only exception for that in, uh, from a biblical perspective is uh, adultery or apostasy. So walking away from the faith blatantly, or of course, adultery. Now, a lot of Christians would argue that married couples should fight for their marriage despite adultery. I don't prescribe to that particular viewpoint. I think that there's adultery. You fundamentally violated the marital union, which to me, and this is also biblical too, it's it's a living, breathing um, representation of the Christ and church relationship, the church being Christ's bride. So once that's been perverted and inverted, okay, cool, power to the people that want to work through it, but I don't necessarily buy from that, buy it 
by that perspective necessarily. What does the official rule book say when it comes to um, stepping out on a marriage and staying married or not getting married? Like, what do they encourage you to do? Uh, what do you mean? What classifies as adultery, you mean? Well, let's say she cheats on him and they want to sit down and sort of sort it out and stay together. Or it doesn't matter who cares. Like, you know, somebody cheats on the other person, steps out. What does the Bible say about that as far as maintaining the marriage or, or canceling the marriage? Yeah, I mean, if, if you commit adultery, like that's that you are permitted to get a divorce. Yeah. Uh, you're not obligated to try and work things out or anything like that. Like that's divorce is permissible 100 okay. percent and there's no so, guidelines on how to handle the reconciliation either it's just like you have you're permitted to get divorced it doesn't mean obviously you have to that's not like yeah. mandated mm -hmm. by any means but you're certainly permitted to do so so yeah. back to the first point that i wrote down again you know one of the solutions that was presented during the uh, twitter space live was men should be getting married earlier as part of the solution uh, but i didn't really get a clear answer from you guys is it, like is that something that you agree with at what age you think men should be getting married? Like, is there an opinion that you guys have on that? Cause it clearly wasn't one of you that said that. Well, I would, I would, I would say, you know, one of, one of the things that the apostle Paul said is that if you're burning with lust and desire, it would be better to get married. Right. So this is the idea that rather than falling into uh, fornication and temptation and sin, it would be better for you to then get married. That's the biblical perspective. That's, uh, you know, this was prescribed 2000 years ago when life was much simpler and uh, they didn't have complicated uh, divorce laws and no fault divorce and all of the legal complications that exist today. I, again, like if a guy is green behind the ears and he's just like rushing headlong into a marriage with a sketchy woman, like that's not something that I would support. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of guys nowadays, you know, you know, the modern state of women. You know what I mean? It's 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 a dangerous thing to do with a woman who doesn't have virtuous, true religious conviction. And even if a woman says that she is a Christian, you know, there's still high divorce rates uh, within the church because a lot of people don't take this stuff seriously. So I, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't say, yes, go get married. I think if we had a truly virtuous Christian society, it would be better for people to get married younger. Uh, because I think that there would be less risks involved with marriage. Like, I think we should completely get rid of no-fault divorce. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not there yet. Yeah, because, I mean, if, there's a few things that, that popped up several times where it seemed like you were all mostly in agreement with them. And, you know, this was the first one that I jot down. And, you know, whoever made the statement was, you know, something along the lines of the solution to all of this BS with uh, the conflict out there and what the man of swamp saying and what the degeneracy is being encouraged is men need to get married earlier. And one of the things that I maintain is that most guys are idiots when it comes to women and they sleepwalk through life and they don't understand what women respond to and what their obligations are as a man. And getting married young would probably be one of the dumbest things that you could possibly do. Um, I, I'm not a fan of marriage. I'm not sure if you guys have read my book. There's an entire chapter in my book on why I think smart man going smart men going forward don't marry. In my opinion, for a guy my age, it's it's not useful. You know, especially if you've already been married and you've got your kids done. Um, but I mean, the notion of of marching men into the slaughterhouse earlier was something that I was confused by because I think you you especially Chase know that um, there's a lot of plugged in sort of like beta males at, out there. Uh, that have been drinking the soy and and really don't have the capacity to lead themselves, let alone a woman. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, especially in today's world and, and Mike, I'm sure will attest to this as well. Like most young guys nowadays, as you just said, do not know how to lead themselves and they absolutely are not qualified to lead a woman as a result of it. And guys like that, I don't think have any business thrusting themselves into a marriage at a young age. Now, with that said, there are also uh, many success stories of couples who within the church are actually convicted in their faith and they get married young, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they have rock solid thriving marriages because they actually have good foundations, good virtues, good conviction in their faith around what the institution of marriage actually means, what the role of a man is in a marriage, what the role of a woman is in a marriage. And that's really the dynamic that you need, in my opinion, for a successful marriage. I'm, I'm not married, but it's, you know, the biblical prescription for the sexes in terms of what a man is supposed to do and what a woman is supposed to do is extremely clear. And when both people get that, and they actually value the covenant that they're entering into, there's a lot of young people nowadays who get married. And like I said, they have rock solid marriages, bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. They don't have the problems that a lot of people who uh, don't follow Jesus Christ have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, okay. So one of the overarching um, ideas that I took away from listening to the space um, and a lot of my notes sort of, you know, draw me to this. So I might as well get to this sort of early on because I think it's part of the reason why the three of us are here today. Um, if, if the church and if, the Christ pill is the answer, then why is the church so filled with plugged in beta males and soy boys? Soy boys. Like I've said before, I think churches today are pretty much beta factories. You're not wrong about that. And I think it's an absolute failure of the church leadership that haven't, hasn't properly um, explained and broken down what biblical masculinity is. Um, and so, the broken down the, go ahead. So, how can we endorse the church, the Bible, and the Christ pill if the people in that space, the vast majority of the people in that space anyway, are, they don't look like the, that they could punch their way out of a wet paper bag, if I'm being honest. Like if the shit hits a fan, I wouldn't want them on my team. For sure. And if, but that's part of the inspiration as to why I stepped into the space and, um, you know, Chase's, you know, fame speaks for itself as well as, and that was kind of the gap I was trying to fill. Not that I'm some like, role model people should should look up to my whole role in this in this space is to be a compass that points people to christ points people to the gospel and and lives as an example of biblical manhood because it's sorely lacking i think there that's the problem is that there's an effeminacy that has metastasized it's made its way into the church and feminism has really gripped the church in in you know we're talking about in terms of staff authority teachings and there's this absolute ignorance and blatant uh, blatant um turning away of the reality of female sin so going back to your original point about should men get married young yes however they should be well equipped on understanding female biological nature and it's all there in the text it's just the church leaders have failed to uh make men understand what this is is not to pedestalize a female it's to not have this blue pill Disneyland version of love that she's just going to love you forever by virtue of you just existing and being a sweater vest wearing Ned Flanders nerd. You got to be a man. You got to be a man in motion. You got to be a man that's not afraid of laying the law down and being a patriarch. And all of those principles come from the Bible. They just haven't been properly explained. And if these things are properly explained and men can digest this young, then they would be wise to go on and not burn with lust and think that they have to acquire all of the sexual experience, which I, as a man that has done that, been there, done that, I can tell you it doesn't add any value to my marriage with my wife. That's for sure. 
So I think it was um, mentioned during your live as well that the church is at the point now where it censors its own verses. For example, women must submit to their men. Somebody made the point during that live that, yeah, somebody um, said that, that, that exists in the Bible, but the church is now censoring certain verses or removing you know the original text to sort of modernize it mm -hmm. yeah so that that someone specified that that happens in the novus ordo uh, mass in the catholic church right and the novus ordo mass was instituted i believe after vatican ii which was a reform in the 60s to the catholic church a major mm -hmm. major reform within the catholic church and you know that's that's an interesting rabbit hole because uh I, i'm not a catholic Rich, I'm, I'm just a non-denominational Protestant, somebody who's been following the word on my own for the past nine years in my walk with Christ, but I've been looking into Catholicism and man, it looks like something happened in the 60s with Vatican II where a lot of the uh, the the legit foundations of Christianity kind of got subverted um, from an outsider's perspective looking in. And part of that subversion ended up being the removal of those verses saying that, you know, wives should submit to their husbands like they just don't read those apparently in these masses and i want to i want to make something clear too like when when mike and i and other christian men are saying the christ pill is the solution we're not just simply saying hey if everybody just goes to church and gets married and finds a woman at church everything's going to work out perfectly fine like we're in complete agreement we talked about this a lot in the space we're in complete agreement that the, the state of the modern church is a complete mess mm. And it is not teaching men how to be men. It's not teaching women how to be women. It's the, the church has become very gynocentric in the modern world. And like you said, it's it's kind of like a beta factory. And uh, I, I shared the anecdote. One of my friends that I met at the gym here in town, he started going to a couple local churches after him and I met. And he was like, dude, I can't find a single guy at any of these churches that looks like he can do a pull up. And that that is the state of the modern church. And it's a huge problem. Uh, so we're not saying like, yeah, look, just go to church and, and you're going to find the perfect woman and you're never going to have any any marital problems. What I'm proposing is the Bible informs us about human nature. It informs us about God's design for the sexes and how what a woman's Achilles heel is, which is the desire to rule over her husband. This was God's curse to Eve after she ate the fruit in the garden. He cursed woman to desire to rule over her husband. And he cursed man to have to work to provide for himself and his loved ones. But God also gave men the duty to lead their families. And he gave women the duty to submit to their husbands, right? That is the proper ordering of the sexes. This is I mean, what- the huge problem with that though today is you've probably noticed even on the whatever podcast when you're co-hosting that is there's a lot of, um, I mean, the vast majority of women will not submit to a man. Of course, absolutely. What's the remedy for that? Well, so the remedy for that is twofold. First off, we have to make men great again. I mean, we have to we have to make men worthy of. I'm trying, Chase, but they're not all listening. <laughs> no, I'm I'm trying to. It's it's a difficult fight. Uh, we we've got to make men great again, and there's many different facets to that process. Um, but men have to become inherently worthy of respect. They have to become worthy of commanding, and 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 earning respect from women. And many men today are not capable of doing that. And then second of all, the thing about submission within the Bible. So obviously, Rich, as you know, submission happens naturally for a woman when she respects and looks up to a man. 
It's not a process that she has to like bend over backwards to try and do. If you are effectively leading a woman, it's not going to be painful for her to submit to you. She's going to want to. However, obviously in any relationship, there's going to be times where uh, she's, you know, you might falter in your leadership or whatever. Maybe you have a weak moment, whatever. She doesn't want to follow your leadership. The, the, the value of the biblical command for women to submit an authentically Christian woman, a woman who actually has firm conviction in biblical values, knows that it's her duty to submit even when she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised, man. You talk to Christian women that like, like I, I, I was speaking to this very traditional Christian girl last year, raised in a very traditional household. Her father is the patriarch of her family and her mother knows it's her duty to submit to her father submission to her like she was born and raised to know like this this is my duty as a woman and if we get married that's what i'm going to do even if i don't feel like it or want to do it that's what i'm going to do and that's i think that's the two-pronged solution that's my opinion i don't know what mike has to say no i totally agree i think that being worthy of submission which could easily be you know your that serve the wife mentality which is not what i'm talking about what i mean by true patriarchy means you've submitted yourself to God's command first, which he calls us to rule over our families. Patriarchy literally means rule by fathers, right? So being a man that's worth his salt, being a man in this world, not of this world, according to God's rule, because I think absent of Christ and those virtues and those principles, it's hard to make an argument for true masculinity anyways. Temperance, restraint, authority, patriarchy. And then from there, it, it creates the argument. This is my problem with the red pill as well, is that it is just a biological argument. Yes, a lot of these things can be correct, just like men have millions of sperm and we're built to sort of like procreate endlessly, but it, it, it completely ignores the fact that we are spiritual beings. And so when a woman is under that spiritual protection of God and her husband, she understands that, and it transcends her nature to rebel against you. Like that's the spirit of Eve and for the spirit of man, or, uh, Adam, it's a spirit of passivity. So a man sort of abdicates his role and kind of just like Adam blindly staring at Eve when she was in the garden and taking that bite um, she understands that although she has these feelings and these emotions, they don't always have to be catered to. Like my wife knows I don't always have to hold space for her because that's complete nonsense. and It's bullshit. It's anti-biblical. There's times where I do, where I see fit and I think it's relevant. And that's unto my judgment because I don't answer to her. I answer to God. And she understands because she respects God first, that it's her duty to submit. And as a, as a man, if I have to say, submit to me, woman, I've already lost that's got a, that, that foundation's got to be there already. Does she always submit to you? Does she always? I mean, there's been times where there, there has certainly been some you conflict. you have to be like, hey, he's watching. No, no, it just depends on the situation, right? If, if they notice there's that, you know, that human female emotion coming up, I know how to quell that in a way that's, that does not make me turn to my anger and my human emotion. I just, I stay calm, I'm clear and I'm articulate. And that's the way to really speak authority without having to be an angry tyrant about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's staying sober-minded in those points of conflict. And this is why in Ephesians, when it says women submit to your husbands, it also says, you know, men love your wives. And so loving my wife means, quote unquote, putting her in that place when she needs to, not from a place of anger, but from a place of grace. And most of the time from a place of calmness, but there is a place for that righteous anger as well. Okay. Um, there's another soundbite here I wanted to, talk about too is um a man taking a woman's virginity and somebody said you shouldn't take her v card and if you do you should marry her 
Yeah, I mean, that that wasn't either of us that made that statement. Are you, you asking agree for with that? general thoughts on it? Yeah, like, do you guys agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Like, what's your take? Well, I mean, I personally think, uh, so one, one, of, one of the things I noticed emerged from the red pill sphere a few years ago, this might have been where it came up, was uh, Tristan Tate, there were clips of him floating around talking yeah, no about, yeah, how to take a woman's virginity and how to kind of butter her up to give it up to you. I think that's insanely degenerate. Um, I think, you know, virginity. He's a Christian man too, though, right? Well, now he is. He says he is. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Did the fruits of his lifestyle prove it? No. No? So here's an interesting concept. So as as he's done in his past and he's openly admitted to um, offering advice on how to take women's, um, you know, virginity and, and I don't know if he was Christian at the time or not. If he repents, does that does that forgive him of those sins? The hard posture has to change. Anybody can go to confession if you're a Catholic. Anybody can say that they repent. But God knows the, the intentions of the heart. Repentance is behavioral change. It's not just saying the words, I repent. It's not just saying, our Father, or Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. It's more than just words. And That's why Jesus cleansed the temple. He went to the temple flipping tables because they were just all a bunch of, you know, they called, called them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And he was cleansing the church because of their legalism. And that's the problem. It's like any Christian can profess that. But are you changing your behavior? That's repentance. So, so if a woman, I don't know, spends her twenties in her party years, let's say she's the average whatever girl pod, podcast with the pink hair and all the other bullshit, as an OnlyFans, uh, you know, goes through about fifty guys. Can she repent from those sins, become Christian, and expect to be taken seriously from a guy? Would, would you chase as a single man take a woman like that seriously? It's a good question. She's she's a she's a woman of Christ. She's repented for her sins. Her heart's changed, but she still has fifty notches in her. I mean, I think it's gross. Personally, I think any honest guy is going to say that. Um, would I take her seriously? Look, I'm not going to. T I don't. I don't take a woman seriously unless I see the fruits of the spirit within her, right? So if I'm talking to a girl and I don't get the sense that she actually takes biblical femininity seriously. I'm not even going to entertain it, mm -hmm. right? If, if, if I'm not getting the sense from her that she's actually submitted to God, I know not to waste my time with her. Um, a woman like that, that you're describing, who has 50 bodies, this is, see, this is the interesting thing, right? Proposing the Christ pill. Let's say tomorrow our society decided to take the Christ pill and all of these women out there with 50 to 100 bodies uh, became Christians overnight. They're going to have a hard time finding, quote unquote, high value men that are going to want to put up with that. And what I would propose to those women, if they, you know, take the Christ pill, they repent of their sins, they repent of their past, so on and so forth. They ask Christ for forgiveness. What I would propose to all women in that situation, if you want guys to take you seriously, you better be the best damn biblical wife candidate on the planet. That's the only way, in my opinion, that you're going to make up for a 50 to 100 notch count under your belt. You have to be the absolute perfect biblical wife with zero question in a man's mind that, you know, you your pair bonding abilities have been compromised to the point where you might want to divorce him and go, you know, monkey branch to another guy. Like you and I both know, all three of us know, Rich, that uh, divorce rates obviously correlate directly with the number of premarital sexual partners that somebody's Correct. had. So, so I look at somebody with a 50 body count 
And I'm like, damn. Happiness as well, mental disorders, lots of other things correlate mm -hmm. with body count. Body count's traumatizing to women. They don't understand the significance of it. Yes. And, you know, I think, I think one of the one of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ is for somebody to get really deep into their relationship with Christ, it can heal a lot of those traumas and, and mental and emotional disorders that can come with a, a damaged and troubled past. Uh, I've experienced that in my own life, not sexually, but like, you know, with like trauma from stuff that happened in my family, the death of my mother, so on and so forth. Like God healed a lot of that stuff for me. And I believe that he can absolutely do that for other people as well. But nonetheless, I mean, yeah, chick with a 50 body count, it's, it's a tough one to swallow. But if she's, if she's the best biblical wife imaginable, there's guys out there that would probably take her seriously. If, if you had the choice between 50 body count girl, best biblical wife ever, chaste, she's a virgin, best, you know, best biblical wife ever, you're dating two girls, who do you pick? Sorry, both of them are Christians, you're saying? Yeah. Identical oh, twins. Oh, both of them are Christians. Yeah. Identical yeah. twins. They look exactly the same. Oh, both, if both, both if, tens. If, if both of them are Christians, obviously I'm going to pick the, the virgin. No question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No like problem. that's my point. You know, I, I, you know, I see all these um, gals and men send me these screenshots all the time of um, dating profiles and, you know, these conversations come up. And it seems like women want to be forgiven of their past indiscretions. And, I don't, I mean, for me personally, obviously I'm, I'm not a religious person. Um, I look at past behaviors as a prediction of future behavior. And if you spent, you know, a decade sharing your body with a whole bunch of dudes and you want a man to take you seriously and invite him into your life and take care of you and take on the risk of, uh, whether it's marriage or living together, whatever that happens to be, um, you'd have to be an idiot to take on a woman that's shared her body with a bunch of men. It's just not a good proposition. And I don't care who she's uh, asked for, for forgiveness for, uh, from. It, it, it just doesn't make any logical sense to me. And I think that's one of the things that the Man of Swamp does get right, um, or the Red Pole, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think that there should be forgiveness for bad choices like that because it's going to invite bad like issues into your own life. Like You're going to invite chaos into your own life as a man. So that's just the idea of perpetual condemnation, though, right? That's the idea that Christianity is against. The misconception when I say Jesus can save these hoes, this is in response to Myron, <laughs> right, is, hey, listen, I'm not saying that men have to go out and, and marry them now. It doesn't mean that, like, hey, okay, just because they're repentant, their heart posture truly is of, is of repentance, and they want to live a virtuous life after however many bodies that they've had, doesn't mean that they're going to get a, a, a good husband. And I'll say this, too. There are very real-world consequences to these actions much like a man who slept with a bunch of women if there's that you know virtuous virgin woman who's disgusted by it well that's a consequence he's got to live with as well my whole response to this is what is the alternative because you've got these men that are like i want to get married but there's all these unmarriageable women it's like listen and i know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this and i've said this on the spaces and and, and chase has, has heard me say this before but a man does not sit in the the shade of the tree that he's planted and so for us to course correct that doesn't mean hey man up and go marry these sluts that, nobody's saying that but a guy in his own heart if he's repentant he's been forgiven especially as a christian if he's got a really good woman in front of him that's been repentant of all these things yes it's be it, it would be very wise to weigh her, the pros against the cons i can't tell a man what the body count should be that he should just run away mm -hmm. you know 
we all have a sort of different barometer. Obviously, anything more than zero, obviously, we're going to think, hey, we shouldn't. But I think we need to be realistic. And if we're going to fix the problem instead of contributing to the problem, we have to sort of assess it from that perspective versus there's no there's no virgins anymore. You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go create more hose because it just perpetuates the problem. And it's a never ending cycle. Well, that's and the other idea, too, right? It's just to indulge because they're already promiscuous anyway. So what are you just going to witness the decline? It's just a doomer mindset to me. And so there is yeah, a secular. The of co- well, sorry. Um, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. No, man, I was just going to say there was a secular liberal by the name of J.D. Unwin, I believe, mm-hmm. and he did a study of civilizations right before the, the, the collapse of some major civilizations. And what he found, and he was, he was trying to not find a correlation between sexual liberation and the decline of society, and he found that there was a strong correlate between those two things. And so the ultimate monogamy of previous generations lasted multiple generations. So if we're going to talk about course correcting, I don't personally believe it's a very masculine thing to do to say, you know what, the ship's going down. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going down with it. To me, that's about as beta as you can be because you bent the need of feminism. You're like, you know what, man? I can't influence it anyways. I'm just going to participate in this indulgence and just watch the decline. That's not how I'm going to participate in it. I don't think that's the way men should. Well, there's Rich. hope. Sorry, Chase. Go ahead. I, I, I wanted I wanted to steal, man, uh, the point that Mike just made because this is this is one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about this. The, the work that J.D. Unwin did he was an Oxford anthropologist. This guy studied 86 different societies and civilizations. And the single greatest predictor as to whether or not a society was going to collapse or flourish was the state of its sexual morality. And in particular, what that society's sentiment was around premarital sex. That was the single greatest predictor for whether or not a society would flourish or collapse. In societies where sexual degeneracy was rampant within three generations across the board, societies and civilizations collapsed. But where premarital sexual chastity was highly valued, uh, you had the greatest indicators of societal flourishing, the greatest advancements in technology and art and all of these different things. And right now, presently, I read a Twitter thread about this. I guess we're like, he doesn't count generations like the way we do. It's like they're like longer. I think they're like 70 years or something like that. We're two generations in. So we're like we're in this window of opportunity where we could either fix this and course correct and literally save Western civilization, according to his his data, or we could let the ship continue to sink and completely collapse. And I would prefer personally to do everything I can to save Western civilization. I think we've got a pretty dope civilization. I don't know if that's possible at this point, uh, but you know that that's that's a big part of the Christ pill to me is is reversing that. And on top of that as well, to go back to the question that you asked a second ago, Mike, you, you made a great point that past behavior is obviously the greatest predictor of future behavior. And if a woman has slept around for ten years, I, we, this is a classic thing that the red pill calls out all the time, and for a good reason. You know, you've got all these women that sleep around for 10 years. They start reaching their late 20s, early 30s, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a Christian now. And uh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to find some guy who's going to give me grace and I'm going to settle down with him. Right. If I was meeting a woman like that, let's say let's say I met some woman who was like 30 years old. and She said, you know, I'm a Christian and uh, I had a promiscuous past, but I'm saved now. Before I married a woman like that, I would want to look at her past and be like, okay, have you been celib- how long have you been celibate for? Right? Like how you repented and you were forgiven by Christ for your sins. How long have you been celibate for? Two months, six months, 
two years, three years. Because if a woman's been celibate for a brief period of time, you have no idea whether or not she's actually changed. You have no idea whether or not she's still a hoe or if she's a woman that's actually truly new again. Or, you is, know, there, is there a timeline that you think where she's no longer a hoe? Is it after a year, three years, five years? I mean, I think like, you know, if a guy was meeting a woman like that and she'd been celibate for three years, like that's a pretty like that's a pretty solid indicator that she's gained control of her flesh and she's like out of her hoe phase. I think if a woman's been celibate for like a few months, it's like, well, there's there's really no proof that you're actually a changed person. Um, The thing with that, that's like that's the equivalent of a Ferrari putting 200,000 miles on the clock and then taking it to the body shop and having them punch out all the dents, fix the paint, run the clock back to zero and saying this thing's brand new (laughs) showroom condition right off the production line. And I don't think that that exists. Mike, I think that's that, that that sounds like somebody that doesn't know Jesus, because if you're trying to make a comparison between a Ferrari and a person that's a spiritual being, I think that's really stupid. Now, if I'll be well, completely honest. Well, I disagree. And I understand. I understand where you're coming from. But it's like and this is why difficulty with this conversation with, with some people in the space, too. It's like we're kind of talking at each other because one side has the revelation of Christ. I'm listening. No, 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 for sure. I'm just saying one side has the revelation of Christ and the other side doesn't. And so my whole mission and Chase's whole mission is that, hey, Rich, I'd love to see you come to the faith, bro, on your own timing. And God changes your heart. And Jesus really speaks to you in a way, because I think you'd be a weapon for Christ in the kingdom. Oh, Truthfully, yeah. you have so much influence. You're articulate, smart, successful. You're the archetypal successful man that a lot of men aspire to be. And I, I've known your content yeah, but for a long time. That would mean time. that I would have to become gullible to the point where I would believe that a Ferrari with 200,000 miles on it that's been to the body shop and had the clock run back to zero is now a brand new car. It's not. Well, no, go ahead, Chase. I I was going to say, no, no, the thing is, though, nobody's saying that you would have to to use this crude analogy buy that Ferrari is the thing. Rich, if you were, uh, let's say previously in your life, you were a murderer and you had murdered two two people. Right. And you wanted to get married. Let's say it had been 10 years since you'd murdered anybody. And then a woman found that out about your past. The argument for her to take your same argument, it would basically be saying, well, I mean, this guy, you know, this is a beaten down, broken vehicle that's gotten in multiple crashes and uh, the engine is falling apart, so on and so forth. Like why, you know, even though that was a long time ago, why, why the hell would I want to be with this guy? And you as a Christian would want to say, well, you know, I, I'm reformed. I have a new heart. I'm a new person. That was a past life, you know. And maybe in your case, you, you know, just like St. Paul either calls us to be married or to be monk, you might be monk in your case, if you don't see really utility to uh, marriage. Um, but again, that requires temperance and not having wanting the spoils of of, of sex without being in the container of, of marital union. Well, I think, I think to be clear, you can have a relationship with a woman. I just don't see the point in inviting the state into my life, right? Because it doesn't matter if you get yeah. married in a church or at the uh, the courthouse, it doesn't matter how you get married. If you live in a way that looks like marriage to the government, it's considered marriage. And whether or not you have an issued document from the government or not, it doesn't matter because if she decides to untie the knot at some point in the future and changes her mind about you, she will have the full force of family law where you live in that state or province, uh, basically allowing her to leverage it as, as she fe- sees fit. And the problem with family laws, there's nothing in there that encourages women to behave well when they untie the knot or to preserve the integrity of what the children need, which is good access to both parents. It encourages her to behave very, very badly, in fact. 
which is why we see women getting 80% of uh, custody orders and women initiating, you know, seven out of 10 of the divorces. And, you know, I go right down the list. You guys are probably pretty familiar with the stats. Um, that's the problem that I have with it. And I get that it's better to have two parents with children. It's far better. I mean, like we've seen the uh, data on this. It's, it's, it's way better for kids. Um, it just is. But um, when you expose yourself to that risk, you're, you're putting yourself in a precarious you know, position under the guise of hope, because that's what it really boils down to. It's, it's like, I hope this gal isn't going to change in the future. You know, I really hope she's not going to change her mind. And there's problems with that. And I think that that's one of the things that they've identified as a real issue. And I haven't heard a real solution to it. Like I got into it with um, the Daily Wire guys, uh, Jeremy Boring and Ben Shapiro and uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has a three-part series on Daily Wire about marriage and why men should get married. And he offered no guidance whatsoever. I did an entire mm -hmm. podcast on it. It was just, you just can't love a woman. You have to get married to her in front of the eyes of God and take your vows and look after her and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, he doesn't say anything about looking in her medicine cabinet to see if she's on some fucked up meds or how many guys that she's been with in her past. It's just yeah. man up and marry these hoes, right? Like this is yeah. the answer a lot of these uh, typical tradcons have. I like that you guys are saying some of the stuff a little bit different, but I think that there's still a fundamental issue. And I don't know that the Christian pill solution is the solution because a lot of the um, infrastructure around it with pastors and churches and a lot of the stuff they're doing, you know, with the verses in the Bible, how they're censoring stuff like that, um, it makes it a pretty tough sell. Just like, you know, just like the Manoswap makes pretty tough sell. Like you get some of these fucking dorks that are like, I've got a lay count of 2,300, you know, be like me, right? Mm -hmm. Buy my course on pickup. I think the solution, and you're absolutely right. And I think there obviously needs to be reform with no fault divorce. Rich, I think you're in Canada. I'm in Canada as well. Um, and it's not like we can avoid it by going to a different province or a different state. I think the U.S. has a little bit more. Um, it's the same everywhere except for Quebec. Okay, so I didn't I didn't know that. Um, so obviously there needs to be reform there. But there's there's I have a kind of a you know maybe a different take. Job chapter seven verse one: A life for man upon this earth is warfare. And so God has created us for risk. And I know what people are going to be saying to saying to me, but there's a couple things here. The way we fix this: we're flawed creatures, even Christians. Uh, are going to uh, succumb to their flesh and get divorced for any number of reasons. But I think the only way is that people wholeheartedly come to Christ because it gives you a way more powerful, powerful reason to stay within that union and not, you know, have a woman take you to the cleaners. A woman that's truly in submission to God and her husband wouldn't consider doing that. And so I think it, it takes a spiritual change in the culture. And it also, I think that's the biggest one. And of course, is it going to be like zero no. And then from there, of course, we need to reform the laws in some way. But to a certain point, again, my question is like, what's the alternative? Am I just going to throw my hands up in the air and say, you know, yeah, hey, I get listen. it. I get it. But I mean, like, but also too. Hmm? go, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I just did a quick Google search and the Pew Research Center says as recently as the 1990s, 90 percent of the U.S. adult population identified as Christian. But they're not I mean, practicing people Christians. Oh, well, I mean, these are people that identified as Christian. They've, you know, they've uh, created the policies and you know, the bureaucrats that have passed all these laws and legislation that have basically fucked up the fabric of society. Um, I mean, it's Christianity that's contributed to this problem. I would There's argue. There's also a stat that couples that pray together have like a 1% or less chance of divorce as well. I'm not sure if that's an accurate stat. Yeah. You can look into that. It is this, uh, I think it happened in the late eighties or the early nineties. Uh, there was a study done rich that 
studied 1,152 couples over a long time span. And these were Christian couples and they, they controlled for uh, prayer, specifically daily prayer. Mm-hmm. And there's been a number of studies that control for Christians and their daily habits when it comes to how often they attend church, how often they, they read the Bible, how often they pray together, so on and so forth. And the higher a couple, the, the more a couple does all of those things, the more marital satisfaction they report, the more sexual satisfaction they report, and it drastically decreases the divorce rates. And in this couple with 1,152, uh, in, in this study with 1,152 couples, there was one couple that got divorced. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, it's not, it's not enough to just call yourself a Christian. You have mm-hmm. to actually take the faith seriously. And I think it's really interesting that prayer was the factor that, that guaranteed success for 99% of these couples. Because when you're praying, when a couple is praying with one another and for one another, they are approaching one another from a heart posture of compassion. And they are putting the other person before themselves. And they are truly considering what is it that this person is going through? What is it that they need? And this is such a critical part of the equation that secular marriages in comparison don't have, right? Like a lot of people, this is the thing, man, like in the modern world, a lot of people approach relationships from the perspective of, okay, what can I get from you? What kind of sex and commitment and so on and so forth? What kind of happiness can I get from you? But a true Christian is going to approach a marriage like that from the perspective of how can I serve you? How can I enjoy my, my time with you? How can I selflessly love you? Right. A man is called in the Bible to sacrifice for his wife and to love her like Christ loves the church. That that's a tremendously different posture than obviously many men approach their relationships from. And a woman obviously is called to to submit to her man. And this it's a completely different dynamic that combined with prayer and biblical study and church attendance and all these things, it just, you look at the data, it it begins to bulletproof the marriage in comparison to secular marriages. And it's not, that's, that's why I'm saying like, I'm not like some like blue pill cuck. That's like, Oh yeah. If you just call yourself a Christian, you marry a Christian woman, everything's going to be fine. We're not, we're not saying that, but what we are saying is yeah. 1% divorce rate for Christian couples that have these habits. That's a hell of a lot of a, a better gamble than a 50% divorce rate in a, in a secular marriage. You see what I'm saying? No, that, 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 I mean, if that data is accurate, then that's very good uh, data, obviously. Uh, it, it, you know, it takes me back to the notion of uh, belief and uh, gossip. Like the whole reason why humanity has been so successful and spread through so many continents is because of gossip, essentially. You know, the, you know, the reason, I don't have a $20 bill here, but, but, but if I held up a $20 bill, the, the only reason why that we all agree that it's worth $20 is because we all agree that it's worth twenty dollars. If there if there was a large contingent of the population said it's not worth anything, you know, I could wipe my ass with it, but that's it. And, you know, we may get there one day. We probably are at some point in with the way that fiat currency is. But yeah, um, yeah, you know, like you get the point, right? So if so, yeah. if everybody in the family agrees with the rule book, then everything's going to be fine. But I think the problem that we have, like one of the issues, you know, I was talking to a guy today on a private console. He's a very wealthy uh, Russian immigrant. And he was asking me about some issues that he's got with, um, you know, his marriage and, you know, potentially having uh, kids and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the notion that society, culture, Hollywood, schools, the education system, like everything out there screens, you know, like parents are giving kids screens. It's five, six, seven years old. Now you go to a restaurant, you sit down, they don't even 
parent their kids or talk to them or engage them. It's put a screen down, headphones, and they stare at it. And that's how they parent, right? So we've got all of these influences. And even if you're a good parent, you don't give your kids a screen. You put them in the school system. The school system is going to introduce rainbows, pronouns. Oh, Billy, you feel like a girl today. Let's call you Sally. No problem, right? Like, you know, you're going to have all of these things indoctrinated into your children. So you really don't even own your own children unless you're in a small community or a compound. And people have tried that. People have tried that. You know, we saw what happened with Ruby Ridge. Dude just want to go to the top of the mountain and be left alone. Government wouldn't fucking leave him alone. You know, we saw what happened at Waco. You know, slightly different, you know, scenario, but he wanted to have his little compound sort of thing going on, right? Like we see these these efforts to sort of draw a perimeter around us to keep them and their influences away. And it doesn't really seem to work, right? That's why I, I still more or less, you know, subscribe to the decline is real. Enjoy it. Right. I just, yeah, yeah, I don't think that does anything beneficial for civilization as a whole, especially those of us with children. I got two young daughters and I want to try to create at least this I have little a daughter in, as well. For sure. And I want to create for my daughter and for, you know, children that you have a slightly better place where they could live that it's less confused and i think the alternative yeah, but is it more to important to save the world than it is to save your own inner circle like the people that you care about well that's 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 what i was getting to is like also too with the indoctrination piece is like my wife doesn't work we're going to be homeschooling our children we're going to create a community within our community we're not talking about like an amish compound that would be ideal of course but i know you know the state wants its hands or the province whatever want the you know they want their hands in your business to a certain degree, we have to exist within the system that has been created as corrupt as it is, the laws and the government. And it goes back to a point that I get slammed about is like, listen, men inherently are built for risk and the risk is worth the reward. And so, and this is where it goes back to proper biblical courtship too, because a lot of the failures of the divorce of divorces and marriages are because men and women aren't going into marriage with a sober mind. Is that rich? You know, I know I've had a, you know, degenerate past. You can't paint uh, red flags green, bro. And so approaching the courtship process and not having sex you until you're married. Red flag. Okay. But what, but what about the whole notion of repentance though? Like, doesn't that paint a red flag green? No, what I mean, what I mean by that is if by engaging in, in premarital fornication, premarital okay. sex, you mm -hmm. kind of confuse yourself. So you can't actually really see the person for who they are. And I've certainly been in relationships before my wife where I was like, I was, I thought I had this, like this type of woman in front of me when really I was just in a state of euphoria because I was addicted to the, the intimate side. And so if more men approach this with, okay, I want to really see who this woman is. I'm not going to engage in the sexual, you know, um, behavior with her, really see who she is. That's going to give you that much better of a chance and a leg up going to marriage. Of course, is it perfect? No. But when you combine Christian values, following, you know, Christ in the Bible and the church, and doing it this way, I mean, it certainly is going to lower your chances. And to me, the risk is worth the reward. If that means family. Another... And... Go ahead. Okay, I got another point over here I wanted to bring up as well. Um, somebody on that space said that they either... Rich, mind if I touch on that at, at some point? Yeah, go so... ahead, Chase. Go ahead. So, dude, you raised so many really good points just then, uh, particularly around the subversion of, of the family by all of these outside forces. Uh, and we kind of we kind of ended on a black pill of, well, you know, the whole ship is going down. Might as well enjoy it while we can. The Christ pill for me. See, here's the thing, man. I think the black pill is more of a nihilistic view and a hate. Yeah, I mean, there's well, there is nihilism. There's a lot of hate and resentment towards women and even guys that are doing shit with their life from the black pill community. Yeah, I, 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 
I'm not referring necessarily to the black pill community. If that is a community, I don't know. It's I'm just using it colloquially. Like when somebody's yeah. black pilled, like they're hopeless and okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I reject the nihilistic perspective because when I, when I look at us as men and what we were created by God to do, right. Mike obviously knows in Genesis, uh, God commanded man to rule over and subdue and govern the earth, right? We were created to govern the earth. God uniquely equipped us to be uh, the rulers of this world and to rule the world under God's headship. He also commanded us to be fruitful and multiply. And we're told throughout the scriptures to raise our kids in the way of the Lord. And if you do that, you know, they won't depart from it in their old age if you do it properly. I'm big on the idea of Christian patriarchy, Rich. Like my my goal for my life, what I really want to do is have as many kids as I possibly can. I want to raise them in the way of the Lord. And I, I want to build a legacy and a dynasty in this world where my future generations will go on to continue to spread the gospel of Christ and to work against these forces of darkness and reorder creation in the way that it's meant to be ordered, where things aren't so freaking degenerate. What but where the best way to do that is? Well, I think so many children. What'd you say? What do you think the best way to do that is to have so many children to make that happen? Why do I think or no, what? what do you think the best way to do that is? Because I mean, like the, the Christian, you know, perspective seems to be one man, one woman. But there's, um, you know, guys out there that have multiple wives that have multiple children with them, right? Yeah. So you're fighting an uphill battle if you want to beat up the Muslims because they're taking on multiple. That's why Christians got to have more babies. We got to have as many Simple, as human. man. You got to have more wives then. So here's the thing about that. I used to be big into this idea earlier in my 20s, Rich, after I got into the red pill. There's a lot of a lot of dudes in the sphere that were talking about polyamory or po polygyny. Polygyny. I think yeah. polygyny is what it's called. Mm -hmm. I, I used to be big into that idea. And I was like, man, you know, I, I never want to get married. I just want to make a ton of money and have like 10, 10 women that I have like three kids with each have like 30 kids. That sounds sure. legit. Yeah which sounds really cool when you're like 23 years old and full of piss and vinegar. And then like the reality of life and how complicated it is starts to set in. And it's like, wow, that's uh, very difficult to manage. Right. Can you imagine managing 10 women? It's <laughs> a freaking job. And I, I started, I started to look throughout the Bible in my, in my walk with Christ, I would, I, I would, I would read throughout the Bible and there's patriarchs all throughout the old Testament that would have multiple women mm -hmm. and they would have children with multiple women. And the pattern that you notice over and over again is that departure from the one man, one woman model often creates bloodshed and strife and fighting between their kids, right? Yeah. Because you have a man who's committed to multiple women. Classic example, uh, you've got Abraham promised children by God, promised to be the father of nations. He decides to take matters into his own hands and he sleeps with his wife's servant, Hagar, instead and has Ishmael. He, he does not have faith in God's promise. He has Ishmael and then he has Isaac after the fact. Well, that sin, one of the products of that sin, the prophet Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael. If Abraham had not departed from God's promise and, and, and what he was supposed to do just with his one wife, we would not have a war in our current world today between Christianity and Islam. Uh, King David, King Solomon, they took multiple wives. God commanded them not to. Their children fought. They fought for the kingdom. They warred or against died. another. What'd you say? Or, or were killed in sort of like God's wrath. King David right before Solomon was born, right? Yes. And and I look so at that. model then, if I understand it correctly, you need every guy 
to man up and take the Christ pill and every woman to man up and or woman up and take the Christ pill and just start going forth and being fruitful and multiplying. Dude, if we had, if we could create a culture, Rich, where people earnestly pursued biblical gender roles and had as many children as possible with one another and properly raised them in alignment with biblical values, if, if every man and woman in the West, or let's just say, let's say 10% of the men and women in the West did this and they each had five to six kids each, within five generations, we could fix literally everything that is going wrong in the world. Everything could be fixed if we stuck to this model. That's the most ideal scenario. Obviously the most ideal scenario. I mean, that would that would assume that they that the kids' uh, worldview and belief system wouldn't be polluted by modern culture and society. Which yes, going to be very very hard to do because they seem to be winning that battle overwhelmingly. Well, and I think that begs the question of who is pushing this degeneracy. But that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah, you can just look <laughs> at the leaders of our respective countries, Joe yeah. Biden and Justin Trudeau, like this, like this is who people vote for. Yes, but I'm speaking to something deeper. Who, who, who controls the flow of information and the flow of ideas? And where, where is that stream originating from? That's an interesting question. But yeah, uh, we don't, we don't have nearly the amount of control that we think that we do. No, we don't. Stuff like that. But a man has control over his household and what the, the stuff that his children consume. He does, absolutely. To a yeah. degree, right? And, that, um, and that's, that's why, if I may just add one more thing, Rich, Okay, I want to go to the sixth point after that. Yeah, that, that's why biblical strong biblical patriarchy, strong male leadership within the household, creating a strong biblical culture within the household is so important because that bleeds down through generations. And you have to create that tradition. Raise your sons well to be biblical patriarchs. Raise your daughter, daughters well to be prepared for that, that role as mothers and wives. You know, like that, that kind of culture is so important. And Amen. it protects against degeneracy over time. But anyways, go on. Yeah. Um, so there's a guy on the live. Uh, I don't know if he said that he was working at a Christian dating site or he owned a Christian dating site, but he said the solution is to match up body counts of men and women. And, oh, that was Tim Gordon. <laughs> okay. And whatever their SMV was. So a man that's a three needs to be with a woman that's a three and a man that's got a body count of four needs to be with a woman with a body count of four. Is that something that you guys agree with? I think it's an interesting idea. I think it, it would be very difficult to enforce. You can't really uh, force attraction or uh, uh, who's going to take what kind of relationship. Well, I mean, one of the problems with that that I found immediately was that we know that women are hypergamous and they want to date up, right? That they need to look up to a giant. They need to be able to view him as better than her. So a three is not going to be with a three. Like a three is going to want to be with a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Yes. So I, I mean, I found that a incredibly uh blind um or you know like how do you match up a guy that's been with five women and a woman that's been with five guys like you know that's also a five and he's a like you know some of these ideas that were you know presented I, I was like really you know did you think about that like how is the christian like i've talked to people about christian dating sites and both men and women mostly women are like it sucks it's it, you know it's an absolute train wreck well, that's why that's why we're Mike and I work with the Courtship Network. Uh, it's this is a service that uh, is that a dating site or yeah. it's a dating network? Yeah, for dating sure. Network, okay. Yeah, it, it matches. Work like how is it different from this? Uh, well, it doesn't. It, there's no like you know matching based off of body count or SMV or anything like that. Although you know, it's hard to disagree with it. It would it would have to be under perfect conditions, which we're not under. We're operating within perfect conditions, so it's hard to make a real practical argument in case for that. 
Mm-hmm. But the courtship network, it's 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 essentially marketed toward people that want to exist within a marriage that you know has these traditional biblical gender roles. It's not explicitly Christian, which I think honestly it it should be because where else does it come from? But that's essential. That's the foundation of it, at least. Okay. Somebody mentioned during the call that divorce laws make red pill necessary. I think that was maybe you, Chase, it sounded yeah, like. Yeah, that, that might have been me, yeah. Yeah. But, like, what's actively being done by the Christian pill and by, you know, guys in your community to fix the uh, corrupt divorce court system? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, uh, this is big within the Christian nationalism movement. So there's a... There's a uh, what is he like a state senator or something? His name is Dusty Devers. He's in Oklahoma, oh, yeah. and they they're making no fault divorce illegal in Oklahoma, as well as banning abortion. And uh, now they're working on banning pornography in Oklahoma as well. But like that's that's huge. Um, Christian nationalists are big into this. No no so, fault divorce needs to be destroyed. Okay, so what is the definition of no fault divorce as you understand it? As far as I understand it goes. <clears throat> It's basically you can just decide that you want to get a divorce and then you can just do it. Uh, I have fault, right? Yes. Okay. So let's say that you can prove fault or you manufacture fault, right? You know, that then becomes the other problem. And the Hmm. law still exists as like removing no fault divorces may be a step in the equation in a, in a forward direction. But I think like, reforming divorce law, family law in general, the way that it operates is a more significant movement towards something that's going to encourage guys to wife up them hoes. Dude, I, I completely agree. Look, I'm 28 years old and like, I don't know squat about family court and divorce laws and how all that stuff works, but I do know that it's a problem. And I know that back in like, I don't know, I think like the forties or the fifties, if you wanted to get a divorce from your spouse, uh, I think in much of America, you had to actually build a, a legal case and take it before a judge uh, for them to even approve it. Like it was it was a hefty process and you had to bring evidence for why the divorce should happen, so on and so forth. That like, I don't know. I don't fully understand why we went away from that model. And you said something earlier in this conversation. You said that. Women are. I can't remember how you put it, but they're, they're, they have advantages in family court. They're encouraged to they're divorce. Encouraged to behave badly. Yeah. Encouraged to behave badly. And that works in their favor in, in family. Do you want me to walk you through some of the things or? Yes, pl- yes, please. Absolutely. Okay. So the, 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 um, you know, the notion of child support. So let's deal with that first. Um, the custodial parent that has the children. So in Canada, you know, for example, where me and Mike live, um, if, you have the kids about 41% of the time, sorry, 41% of the time or more, one of the parents, then it's considered shared custody. If mom has the kids 60% of the time or more, then she's a custodial parent. She gets to make unilateral decisions. Mm-hmm. She can do whatever she wants, basically. You know, if she meets a hot dude across the country and wants to move 4,000 kilometers away, uh, she can take the kids and go. Um, she can initiate medical procedures without the father's consent. Um, any kind of medical procedure, you know, she can, there's, there's all kinds of shit that is, you know, happened like hyphenate the last name. She meets another guy. He wants to adopt the kids, change the last name, hyphenate the last name, stuff like that. And I mean, that's just one example of one of the things that women are encouraged to leverage. And on top of that, here's the other problem too. Um, 
we know children do better with access to both parents and you know good equal parenting is is going to produce more useful members of society um women that are getting all of these custody orders are doing so not just to control but also for enrichment um a friend of mine was i think the kid was like four or five or something like that when they got uh when they parted ways um uh, he cited you know the affordability for daycare and uh, clothing and extracurricular for like swimming lessons for tiny tot class and stuff like that. It's about a thousand bucks a month. You know, we'll call it a thousand bucks a month was what they were spending. But based on his income, the child support tables would have compelled him to pay over $4,800 a month. Hmm. Now that's not for the child's need. That's just because the government cooked up some table that said, well, if you make X amount of dollars and this percentage needs to go to the child. It doesn't maintain the child's lifestyle. It enriches the mother's lifestyle. So it thereby encourages mothers who are getting divorced, and by the way, also untying the knot most of the time, to fight for primary custody. Because they don't just get control and the kids, they also get more of his money. So that's just an example of one incentive that's in place in family law. Now that's in Canada. There's there's certain states where that exists and others where they don't. Like for example, in Florida, Kentucky, Michigan, and California, you have default 50-50 divorce. Uh, so custody, if you want to be the primary custody or the primary caregiver, you have to prove that the other parent's basically a degenerate piece of shit, right? Like he's a, you know, she's a prostitute. He's a cocaine dealer. It'd be bad for the child to be with a parent equal time. Child should be with me. Um, so there's lots of, and this is just one of like hundreds, like there's lots of mechanisms in place that they've written in a family law to, you know, and I'm doing some quotes, obviously for those that are listening, but to protect and preserve the, the interests of the children and the mother, right? And it's like, okay. Is it explicit to protect the interests of the mother? Like, is there anything Well, in that's there? the argument that they use is, you know, like children need their mother and it you know, <clears throat> protects the interests of the uh, children. But but it, if the children's like cost to maintain their lifestyle in extracurricular school, like uh, school clothing is like $1,000 at that time, why do tables exist that compel men to pay, you know, four or five times six, seven times more than what they're paying when they're married. And then they don't get a say in how to raise the kid anymore because she's got control, right? So it, it, it robs fathers of the ability to be a father and parent their own child. Like many men these days find themselves in a scenario where after they get divorced, if she's a primary custody uh, parent, uh, the new guy, whoever she's banging now, spends more time with his, with his kids than he does. Right. So that's just that's just one angle that encourages women to behave badly through family law. And I don't think guys contemplate that and understand a lot of these narratives until they actually live it. Like you're 28 years old. You haven't heard of some of these things, right? Yeah. Well, and, and this is this is exactly why I made the point in the space last night that this is why the red pill is important for men, because there's a lot of hoes out there that are totally untrustworthy and aren't virtuous that will completely screw dudes over. And guys will get blindsided by this stuff and it, it ruins your life, you know? Uh, and that's that's why I see the red pill as very necessary for men nowadays. Um, I think one of, one of the problems that I see though is that it's fundamentally a reactionary movement. And what you're describing is extremely problematic. And all of those laws, in my opinion, over a long span of time need to be reformed and they can be reformed. And I guess my like, question that's the target the target should not be no fault divorce as in eliminating no fault divorce right. yeah forget about no fault divorce i mean it, if you remove the incentives to get divorced yeah for women to untie the knot 
then no fault divorce will sort of take care of itself. She's not going to want to untie the knot and cheat on him to take the kids and get his money and half right. her stuff. So, yeah, I guess that, that, so that was going to be my follow-up question is like, what do you think, what, what, what would an ideal family court law situation look like to eliminate all of those incentives? Like what's, what's the most ideal situation to protect men uh, so that we can reverse a lot of this stuff. So it isn't so dangerous for guys to get married. You know, the pendulum swung in the opposite direction. There was a time when men would get divorced where they would have custody of the kids. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that you're aware of that. It's, you know, it's talked about, you know, the old books. Um, do you know what the purpose of marriage is, by the way? From a secular worldly perspective or from the biblical perspective? From, well, it's been studied. There's this gal, her name's Stephanie Coots. She wrote a book called uh, A History of Marriage. And she wanted to figure out why, you know, people can get married. So she was going through court records, diaries, you know, religious uh, records, all these entries, you know, throughout history. And it was determined that the reason why people have gotten married in the past was was the acquisition of in-laws. You know, it's mm. uh, suggested that when there was no state, when there was no government, when there was no fire services and policing and schooling and medical system, you would want to integrate your large family with her large family and you would have access to those tools and resources and you'd have access to the muscle and the education and the people with, you know, certain things that you may not have in your own family. So it was a blending of the fam families, right? So. It wasn't about love. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about any of those things. According to all the data that was collected from all those uh, texts, it was just about the acquisition of in-laws. How far back does that go? You know, that's a good question. I read that book a few years ago and I can't remember, but I think it was as far back as she could find the records. Right. Because, uh, you know, the original concept of marriage comes from this idea of becoming a one flesh union under God to have this container, spiritual container to have fam to have a family and to be fruitful and multiply and to not create multiple multi multi-generational distress there's this mm -hmm. argument for polygyny from these bible bros which makes no sense because solomon and david all bore the wrath from their actions and there's nowhere in the bible that explicitly promotes that although there were those examples in the old testament um so yeah it, it'd be curious to know how far that goes back because from a I biblical perspective yeah. that sounds like a purely secular uh compilation sure. of of data yeah yeah, I would I would just add to one of one of the perspectives that I've found fascinating that I've discovered in the past year, Rich, from the Christian perspective, which, you know, may not resonate with you, but I still nonetheless find really interesting is that marriage, marriage, you know, so within the Catholic Church, marriage is a sacrament and the covenant of marriage itself is a spiritual container, as Mike said, for the sanctification of two people's souls. Mm -hmm. Right. So like the process of it is you know, if you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to like, there's going to be times when the two of you do not like one another. There's going to be times when the two of you have to sacrifice stuff that you really want for the other person. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of compassion that has to be exercised for the other person. Um, and in the process of being married and doing all of this and making these sacrifices and having this compassion, you become more saint-like and you become more like Jesus Christ. And that is that is the ultimate goal of this life is to become it's one of the ultimate goals is to become as like Christ as we possibly can, because he was the perfect man. And we live in a highly imperfect world and marriage is kind of a, a container for that. And it, within, you know, what's interesting, Rich, is within I'll share this with you within the Christian community. There's a number of men that I look up to uh, who have really strong marriages and really strong families, and they are. They are powerful patriarchs that are making a big impact in the world around us. And their wives 
this is one of the cool things about Christianity, that the reason why God created Eve for Adam in the first place was to be a helper for him, right? Yeah. Like we, we live in this feminist world where women have this like uh, independent boss babe mentality. I'm the ruler of my own life. But no, literally the reason why God created woman in the first place was to help man with everything that he needed to do in the world. And the best marriages that I've seen from the, these men that I respect most, the women understand their role and both of them are on a journey together to pursue God. It's not yeah, the that, man. Yeah, that brings me to the whole pink job, blue job stuff, right? Where men are supposed to do the blue jobs and women are supposed to do the pink jobs. But, um, you know, the notion of toxic feminism today tells women that um, you should never do anything for the express pleasure of a man now. And most women are drunk on this. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yes, it is. And I mean, the reality is when when a woman finds a man that she really respects and loves, she's going to want to bring him pleasure, you know, in, mm -hmm. in all of the different ways that it manifests. And the idea that this is one of the problems with feminism, feminism brainwashes women to go against their their nature and to believe that going uh, in the direction of their nature is wrong. I, you know, I, I'm in an interesting position, Rich, because in my work in the whatever podcast and preaching the values that I've preached, I've there's like thousands of young women in their 20s and late teens that have reached out to me. And I talk, I, I speak against feminism and how it brainwashes women to go and enter the workforce when a woman's natural inclination oftentimes is to have kids with a man that she respects. Dude, I get so many messages from young women that are like, I've never heard a guy say it's okay to go and reject that lifestyle and to just want kids in my early 20s. Like so many young women are like, I just want kids, but the world is telling me I can't pursue that. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the world does encourage them to put it off, doesn't it? You know, uh, climb mm -hmm. the corporate ladder, get degrees, uh, pile on student debt, uh, go party, you know, just go out and do all that stuff and enjoy your life, girl, because you need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And <laughs> I don't know that that genie is ever going to go back in the bottle. It's, it's, um, uh, you know, I, I always get encouraged, Rich, you know, you got to save the world, you know, like Mike was saying, or if you've got influence, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff and got it, got it. But I'm, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I see what's going on. Like I see the code in the matrix. I'm not an idiot here, right? Like I'm, I've, I'm looking at this from every angle that I can look at it from. And I want to have conversations like this with people to sort of, um, you know, hear these different perspectives and ideas and even challenge and push back sometimes. But I want to listen a lot more too. Like I've got two ears and one mouth and I'm trying to use them in that ratio here with you guys. Cause I think that you're, that you're thoughtfully trying to think through this. And you know, a lot of the stuff with the, you know, the whole Mano Swamp, it, it's, it's shitty. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting and useful information that you can pull from it, I think, but there's a lot of shitty people selling it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I would want to trade my life for anybody that I know in that space. I wouldn't want to walk in their shoes. Fuck that. Um, and at the same time, I also wouldn't want to walk in the shoes of a married man, you know, today dealing with a woman that's slept with 30, 40, 50 guys, you know, trying to, trying to deal with the disagreeable boss girl that's, you know, got the corporate job and the kids are in school and they have before school and after school. And it, like, you know, it, it's a, it's a dangerous proposition to, uh, deal with that um you know it brings me to the idea of this um consult that i had once it was a few years ago and this um you know i'll share the story that there was this guy that was married for i don't know six seven years um he describes his wife as god far god fearing christian all the siblings were all married um 
churchgoer, conservative voter, all that good stuff. And several years in the marriage, she decided she wanted to untie the knot and go and explore life. You know, she wanted to lean into uh, being a divorced single mom sort of thing. How old were and, they? Thirties, uh, mid, you know, like mid thirties. I think they got married in their twenties, like 24, 25. They were in their thirties or something like that. And he, he did not recognize the woman that he was married to. And, mm. you know, like it brings you to the conclusion. It's like, you know, you can't like a promise of today's commitments or vows or um, any of these things is not going to extend into perpetuity. And the problem is that family law is so hostile towards men and women have so much, like they wield so much power whenever they want. Like a false domestic violence charge is, is, is a very useful tool for women. And it's just one of those things. Like I have, I have my DMs and my messages fit. Like I have more messages on stories and things that I can make content on than, I, than what I know what to do with it. There's this guy that's a cop in uh, Norway that's been messaging me. I did a video on this three-step rocket that women were doing that he was telling me about. And he came back with this other story that I got from as well. Apparently, a lot of these rape um, uh, calls that these women are making to police departments that they're reporting, they're actually doing it because they're cheating on their man and they want to be preemptive and file a report saying that they were raped, fearing that he's going to find out. So they're so so they're deceiving men. And I said to him, mm -hmm. I said, "What percentage of the time does this happen?" He says, "About eighty percent of the time, they're false, they're bullshit, they're made up, right?" So it's like I get the whole virtue of marriage and family values and what's written in biblical scripture, and that particular rule book has some good rules in it. But I'm like, you know, one of the points that I made here, uh, the pastor argument towards the end of your uh, live was fix the church first, right? And if you want to encourage people to join a club, it should be a pretty compelling club, right? Like you shouldn't have a bunch of soy boys, you know, flopping around in there that can't do one pull-up like you said, or, you know, um, censoring certain verses where, uh, you know, the church censors its own verses around the lines of women must submit to men as an example sort of thing. So it's like, how do you fix all that, right? Like, you know, how do you fix certain areas of your life? And I think you have to come to a point, I do anyway, you know, I have to come to a point where it's like, I've only got so much air left in my lungs and so much life ahead of me and runway and all that sort of stuff. And I think that there's certain things that are just, you know, the way that they are and surrendering, you know, to the way they are and then navigating around those things. It's like me drawing a map for guys and saying, here's all the landmines, dude, my dudes right here, walk around them and I give them the map, right? And one of the landmines happens to be marriage, unfortunately. Yep. And I can tell you, if I was not a Christian, there's a 0% chance that I would want to get married to a woman in uh, today's modern world because the state of modern women is an absolute train wreck. Can I tell you the, the kind of woman I want to marry, Rich? I hope she's a Christian woman and she's a virgin. <laughs> ideally, <laughs> ideally both. Um, I want to marry the kind of woman who knows that she will have to answer to God on Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. And she will have to stand before God and give an account. What does that mean, judgment day? What, is, what does that mean exactly? So uh, within the Bible, when you read Revelation chapter, I think it's 20. Um, it, this is There's an area of Christianity called eschatology. This is the study of the things at the end, including the resurrection, right? So we're told in the Bible, we're living this life and you're going to die. And then all of us are going to be resurrected and we're all going to stand before God on judgment day. 
And the words that we've spoken in this life, we will have to make an account for our actions. We will have to make an account for, and we will be judged based on our actions. And if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, and, uh, uh, you believe in him and the sacrifice that he's made on the cross, you know, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you're likely going to hell. This is one of the reasons why I share the gospel as much as I possibly can, because I don't want to see people go to hell. But beside the point, I, I know I will have to stand before God on judgment day. And if I get into a marriage and I don't honor the duties that God has given me within marriage, I'm going to have to give an account for that. I will be judged for that. If I do a good job of living up to the duties that God has given me as a man, I will also be judged for that and rewarded for that. I want to marry the kind of woman who has the fear of God, who like I fear, I fear judgment day. I've done a lot of stupid since becoming a Christian. I continue to do a lot of stupid stuff. I fear God's judgment. I want to marry a woman who fears God's judgment so much so that when it comes to the subject of marriage, she takes it very, very seriously. So that's what God fearing Christian means is you fear judgment day. Yep. You could say fear judgment day. You could say just fear, fear God in general. Like it's one of the things Jesus said. He said, don't fear he who can kill your body in this life. Fear he who can destroy, destroy both your soul and your body in hell. That's fear mm -hmm. of the Lord. That's See what I'm saying? Interesting. Um, do you guys mind if we get these super chats? We've already got a few ones that are started up on the right before we wrap up. You got some more time? Yep. Go ahead. I'm, I'm chilling. All right. Uh, first one I got here is evening gentlemen. The cure for this isn't the Christ pill as a uh, complicit in all of this. Embrace the doom guy pill. Rip and tear until it's done. About. Do you guys have I'm, any? I'm, I'm praying for that guy's soul. That I, I've been there before. It's not a good place to be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm praying for your salvation, brother. It's easy and, to think that, but there's hope. Yeah, and and you know, from my perspective, kids, are like I'm not a doom guyer. I'm I'm more <laughs> of a you know look at things that you know, as they are and navigate around them. Um, there's another one here from him. He says, what many don't know is feminism was promoted and spread by people of God. So that has to be addressed before we can move forward. What's your take on that? It's because the, Satan wants to attack the truth. And that means within even the authority of the church, uh, talking about the Catholic church, there's going to be these nefarious characters and same thing in, in Protestantism. Those are not the examples we're looking to. And so, yes, these people could be talking about feminism, but are they representations of, of of the good news and i would say no do you yeah. guys um follow the pope like is the pope part of your church or is it part of the catholic church only for you he's part of the catholic church only okay, so, okay. Hey, if i may add one thing to that can you pull up that comment one more time yeah go ahead it's something very interesting so uh rich within christianity we're we're told within god's word that there's a spiritual war raging all around us for the souls of humanity and Satan is trying to collect as many as he can to drag to hell. And Christ obviously wants to, to uh, rescue as many as he can into the kingdom in, in heaven. The early feminists worshipped, they openly worshipped Lucifer yep. in their writings. They said that uh, the snake in the garden was the first feminist and they worshipped Lucifer because he liberated Eve from the oppressive patriarchy of God. Feminism as a movement, he, this guy just said that it was spread by the people of God. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it's obviously you have feminism in the church today, but feminism as a movement started uh, in explicitly satanic origins. And a lot of the early feminists, they practiced witchcraft. They were communing literally with the devil. This is a movement that was created to invert God's natural order of the sexes. And it has succeeded and it's destroying our world in the process. It's a demonic infiltration.
Elena, just a super chat. Thanks for that. Because uh, women claim to be queens, yet act in fear than your average peasant of the old world. Queen Victoria <laughs> despised feminism while Empress of England. Yeah, well, I think the um, I think the crown, as they say, has uh, moves at a different speed, of course. Uh, the 79 Pro says there's a difference between being married under the state and married under God. Um, I would argue there isn't because mm -hmm. if you live in a way that looks like married to the state, you're married. It doesn't matter how you do it. If you live together long enough, common law kicks in. Um, you do it in a religious ceremony, you're still married under family law. Uh, I'm not aware of any Bible verses that state how you get married or how women act. See, this is the delusion that I think that exists in a lot of, um, you know, religious guys is they think that I'm not going to be married under the state. I'm only going to be married under God. You can't contract out of what the state, like if no. you live in a country that has laws, you have to understand that the, it doesn't matter what your ceremony happens to be. You're still married in the eyes of the state. I'm not aware of any Bible verses that state how you get married or how a woman actually becomes your wife. Do these gentlemen know? I'm not aware of any verses that specify that process. No. I know that the early church fathers of Catholicism maintained that marriage must be done within the church, but that's oral tradition versus doctrine, which, I mean, in, in the Catholic worldview, and I'm on sort of the cusp of reversion myself, um, that is going to be to be considered doctrine if it's agreed yeah. upon by the church authority. Uh, Chase, the corpse will forge a new generation of people who will build superior society than the ones prior did. Evolution is king of the species. I don't that's think evolution is going to be sold to Chase or Mike, though. I mean, that's that's probably true. I think this is something a lot of people are saying right now is that the collapse will cause uh, things to reset. I think I think that's what we need. We need some sort of event that is going to force a reset. Now, careful what you wish for. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared, man. I'm ready for it. I'm a I'm a big boy. I have no problem. You know, something like that happens. Um, how long? Hey, Rich, how long could you survive off grid for? Look, man, um, there's certain <laughs> things that you want to give away publicly and there's certain things that you don't. Disclose <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> you know, my my solutions to chaos are uh, not broadcasted. You know, it's only guys in my inner circle that uh, that's totally place. fair. Fair enough. Um, the issue with observe and accept societal decline means Rich's daughter will be stuck with the worst men ever. Um, not necessarily because I do create good men and uh, I create a lot of good men that are also good at being men. If you take a look at my uh, Instagram feed, you can see a remarkable uh, improvement. In one of the guys in my community that I uh, posted there this morning, there's, there's lots and lots of guys that are adopting, you know, the do the work mindset that I'm... Uh, you know, selling and, you know, the same thing with these gentlemen too, as well. They're, they're, you know, they're saying take ownership. Don't be a, a beta male. So boy, soy boy, right? Uh, right. Chase is right. The current, we can do what we want mindset hasn't given positive results. I think, I think there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, man. Um, William says Western civilization is toast, unredeemable, but Eastern Christianity and civilizations such as Russia, Romania, Poland, Hungary are turning the world toward neo-traditionalist worldview of gender roles. I don't live there. I can't comment. I actually have a close friend that lives in Romania, not the Tates, by the way, um, who deals with some of the problems that we're dealing here, and they're not getting better. They're getting worse. They're becoming more like Western problems in countries mm -hmm. like this. So I don't know that I entirely believe that or trust that just moving to another country, bro, is a solution. <laughs> what do you guys think? Bro, I love America. I want to save America. 
I think America is probably one of the greatest countries in the world. It's unfortunate Agreed. that it's, you know, in the state that it's in right now. And I don't know that there's any fixing it, you know, given given the direction that we've seen in the last several years. Uh, Chase Mike, you can't have a virtuous, honorable society when the people are filthy blousos. Bo- and what's a blouso? I don't know. And, and have no honor, casting pearls to swine, ring a bell. Uh, Baizuo is a derogatory Chinese term used to refer to Western liberals and leftists, okay. <laughs> especially in relation to refugee issues and social problems. What do you say? You can't have a virtuous, honorable society when the people are filthy, Baizuo's. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, man. Like, this is part of the Christ pill is that, all right, look at look at all of our opposition. I think we're on YouTube right now, so we probably can't talk about the, the juice that people got, right? <laughs> yeah, just call it the uh, experimental uh, jab. <laughs> yeah so i mean dude we're like i look at it like this man i don't know if christ is coming back christ might be coming back in the next 10 to 20 years but if he isn't and he's coming back a few hundred years from now our opposition we've got people that are getting the experimental jabs they're eating the fake meat they're chopping their dicks and balls off they believe in climate change and that you shouldn't uh uh reproduce that's our opposition and then we've got our side we got the Christ pill where we're saying, yo, we should have as many kids as humanly possible and, you know, basically take over the earth. We're going to outbreed them. And uh, yeah, it sucks living with the buys woes right now. But on a long enough time span, we can totally turn this around because they're not reproducing. Yeah. Um, Noah says, so I'm hearing all of you guys. We're not offering anything new. You should just convert to Christianity and things might get better. Oh, and if you can't get a wife, just go monk and have no sex at all. WTF. If that's I mean, all that, you heard, you didn't listen, actually listen to the conversation at all. So this is yeah. just a, yeah, good for you, man. Go listen to it again. Go listen to it again. There's some pretty tangible stuff there, I think. What do you think, Chase? <laughs> I, I would agree, dude. And go lift some weights and build your value as a man and pursue Jesus Christ and pray for an awesome woman, bro. And the last one, uh, Gabe says, to what extent does the modern church teach women to fear God rather than you are a daughter of the king? Don't settle for less you deserve, girl inadvertently buttressing hypergamy. That is absolutely true. And this is why me and Chase are speaking the way that we do, because most churches prescribe to this mentality. They avoid the topic of female sin. They avoid the topic of the spirit of Eve, and they point everything toward the man. And although I do think men have to hold responsibility for the sins of their wives, we're not culpable for them, and they are accountable to God. And that's the, the doctrine that should be preached. That's the type of scripture that I want, real biblical scripture in the churches. Part yes, of the problem. absolutely. What's your recommendation, boys, for guys that are interested in learning more about the Christian pill? Uh, follow both of us on uh, X. Follow Mike Pantile. Follow myself as well. Um, one really good, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure you've probably got guys listening that are curious about more of this. One really good place uh, in American Christendom where this actual fear God mentality, traditional biblical gender roles is being enforced is within the Reformed Church in America. Uh, the Reformed Church in America is going hard on this. Doug Wilson, his ministry, fantastic when it comes to this stuff. And there's a lot of people that are into it. Rich, I don't know how much time you have uh, before we finish up, too. I, I did have one question for you before we wrap. but Sure, go ahead. Yeah, what I, what I was curious about is um, what are your, you keep calling it the manna swamp. What are your yeah. biggest criticisms of the manna swamp? Mm. I think the, see, I always look at people, right? Um, you know, it's fine to provide information or to offer an opinion, but I always ask myself, would I want to trade my life with yours? And 
you know, I said this earlier during the show, I would not trade my life with anybody in the Mano Swamp. There's nobody that I'd want to, you know, live in their shoes. Um, there's not a lot of good men that are also good at being men in that space. They've, for the most part, have come there because of their own traumas or somebody that's close in their life, you know, for example. Um, I know, Chase, you've talked about that. I've heard your story about how you got to the red pill sort of thing. And I think there's legitimate solutions that you can find there. Um, but there's a lot of degeneracy. There's a lot of, just real pieces of shit in that space. And that's like, I spent a few years in a space and I didn't know what it was. They kind of sucked me in and uh, they're like, uh, hey, you know, let's collab. And I started to notice some of the problems and I tried to make some uh, effort to clean it up and remedy it. And it was just one of those things like, oh, fucking things burning down. Just, you know, let them have it then. And I walked away. So, you know, a few years ago, I've, um, I've done that and I don't collab with anybody in that, um, Mano Swamp, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's really, really interesting because it's, because it's, it, it offers fundamental, useful information that guys need to comprehend that is distilled and compelling. And, it, and some of it comes from experience. Some of it comes from observing behavior. Some of it comes from Evo psych, um, I think that Evo Psych, you know, is a little bit stoned on its own ideas, right? But they're, you know, they're all about uh, data and, uh, you know, taking studies. And there's a lot of flaws in that too as well. But I think that if you can take, you know, what's working from multiple sources and make it your own, maybe that's what I've done. Maybe that's, you know, what I've created with the book and the podcast and all these sorts of things. Because I, I'm just that guy, man. Like, you know, I just don't have time for childish drama and bullshit. So... That's why I do what I do now. Right on, dude. And what, I guess, last question, out of curiosity, what was it that compelled you to want to reach out to me and listen to our space and, and stuff like that? Well, I saw that. the controversy, you know, between you and Myron. Um, Myron, by the way, I mentored several years ago. He was in my community, um, you know, before he started up the Fresh and Fit podcast. Um, and I wanted to hear what you had to say in your space. So, you know, I had some work to do in a workout, so I just put it on a speaker and I listened to it and brought a pen down and just jotted down some notes. And I thought there was some interesting things that I um, wanted to talk about from my own experience. So I'm glad you guys were able to carve out some time and join me on this because it's because it's better than um, uh, you know me just doing it solo and reacting to uh, to a bunch of uh, sound bites. Um, yeah. Was yeah. was there anything valuable that you found where you were like, you know what, they they might be onto something there? Um, sure. Station. I, I look, I mean, like the boldest point that I wrote down was fix the church first. You know, again, I think if you're going to invite people to join your club and, 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 and drink the Kool-Aid, then you should, you should be, uh, providing the, uh, uh secret sauce, you know, the perfect sauce, you know, if you know what I mean. Yep. And there's a lot of problems with, you know, religion as I see it. There's way too many religions. They're, you know, they all conflict. They don't agree. They all think theirs is the right one. Um, if you don't do this one, then you're going to go to hell. If you don't do this one, you're going to go here. Uh, you know, you're this, that, or the other thing. There's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of pointing and sputtering. Um, I have a different theory about how we got here today, which I may share another time. Not, not for today's show. But, um, yeah, I think that was the main one is... I mean, some of the things were just like, I was just like, really, dude? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, one of the uh, sound bites, which I didn't read out, was the church is the only place where good people are, are at. 
<laughs> I can't remember who said that. Well, I wrote WTF after that. Because <laughs> like, I've, oh. I've met some really shitty people that are in the church. Too. Oof, me too, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, if you're going to offer a Christian pill solution and, you know, this denomination of the church is the one that's working for you, Chase, um, you like a piece of advice that I would give, and I don't know what level of control that you have in this uh, new establishment is, but you have to get rid of the riffraff. Like anybody that is poison in that in that pool of uh, goodness uh, has got to be cut out because it will spread like cancer, just like toxic feminism has and a lot of the other nonsense ideas. And there's a lot of, you know, stuff in my book. I bet if either one of you guys read my book, you'd be like, ah, oh, that's promoting, you know, degeneracy, Rich. I'm not sure I agree with that one sort of thing. But I've read know, again, yeah. you know, my idea is there's your map, there's your landmines, walk around them. Well, and it's men, men need to hear that because they're not getting it from the church oftentimes. Yeah. And I, well, I, I, I salute all of you guys doing that work. And I think you have a heart, you have a heart to help men. And that's something I appreciate. And you're, you're talking about, you know, us fixing the church. We're doing our best by boldly speaking. I think what is the truth of the gospel where the church is getting it wrong. And I don't mean this in any sort of patronizing way, but Rich with the influence and what you have and the wisdom that you have, I think I'd like to see you part of our club one day, bro. So I'll be praying. I'll be praying for you, man. Regardless, I think you're doing good work. But I'll be praying for you, my man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm creating my own club. Um, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to talk to other clubs and have conversations with them. I think it's, you know, I think it's needed. Hey, Amen. Yeah, right, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be praying for you too. Thank you for your time, man. Yeah, Thanks, it's, guys. it's an honor, man. Thank you very much. See you, see you guys later. Have, have a good one.